Dotnet Rocks, episode 1083, with guest Brad Abrams. Recorded Monday, December 15th, 2014. And that's how you do that, Mr. Camel. Indeed. What's up, my friend? Eh, it's the new year, you know. What are we going to complain about? Nothing to complain about here. 2015, the year of the podcast. Yeah, isn't that crazy? All of a sudden, podcasts are a thing. Well, uh, I saw some tweets from Dave Weiner talking about a Slate article where they said, like, podcasts just came out of nowhere. And I tweeted back to him, didn't you get it out of nowhere like 10 years ago? <laughs> At least 10, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's fun to be hip. It is. Yep. And ahead of the curve. All right. Well, let's roll the crazy music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, dude. What do you got? And well, Brad Abrams from Google is coming up here in a minute. So in honor of him, I thought I would give a shout out to one of my favorite uh, features of uh, Google. Of course, there are many. But this is Google Forms, tinyurl.com slash forms of Google, because every form of Google Forms and tinyurl was already taken. So tinyurl.com slash forms of Google. And it's Google Forms. Of course, um, a very simple WYSIWYG form editor, you know, that lets you uh, fill out a form, hand out the URL to your friends, and the results go into uh, whatever you want. Nice. Um, a spreadsheet, typically in Google Docs. And it's just a simple way to get some survey information, to gather some information from a group of people without having to host a website and do all of the other stuff that is required of website development. And we use it at Dev Intersection for collecting uh, session abstracts. That's pretty cool. A perfect example of that, yep, right? Works like a hot damn. Yeah, I've got a group of developers that I want to... Uh, get all their information uh, in one place and have all their skill sets tagged, you know, with a tag cloud or something like that. I just throw up a form, everybody runs it, boom, done. Easy. So there you go. Love Google it. Forms. Good or stuff. tinyurl.com slash forms of Google. <laughs> 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 Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off a of show 1072, the one we did at NDC in London with Shay Friedman. Yes. We were talking about Chrome developer tools. Yes. And we also talked about, you know, what was in Fiddler, what was in Chrome and so forth. And Benji wanted to say, don't throw out Fiddler just yet. Yeah. The network tab on Chrome and Firebug is great. No argument for me. But in my opinion, Fiddler gives you a much nicer way to edit and replay requests. But even more importantly, for me at least, Fiddler lets you decrypt HTTPS traffic. And I haven't found a way to do that in Chrome. Aha. Uh -huh. Very good. So, yeah, very specific things inside. I got nothing bad to say about Fiddler. It's not going away from me anytime soon. But we were talking about I have Chrome tools actually grown to the point where they can do everything that Fiddler can do. And, and clearly, Ben sees there's things that it can't do, at least not yet. And certainly, it's outside of the browser. And speaking of things that can and can't be done, if you remember in that show with Shy Friedman, uh, I pointed out a web photo edit uh, site. That, oh, right. Yes. Pixelar.com saying how it was very cool what you could do with HTML and JavaScript. Well, guess what? What? It's Flash. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw that in, and and added it to the show notes later. It's like, ah, it turns out it's Flash. I can't believe I missed that uh, one. So it's easy Some to do. 
some days were just sucked in. Like you want to believe, oh my God, I want to believe this was done in JavaScript. Yeah. Uh, never mind. Oh, well. Oh, well. So, Ben, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps because we've got them for Android, for Windows Phone 7 and 8, for iOS, and for Windows 8. Oh, boy, do we got them. We got them. That brings us to Brad Abrams. Brad is Group Product Manager on the Google Cloud Platform team, where he's responsible for the developer experiences on the platform. Software development is one of the last areas of modern life not deeply enhanced by the cloud. Brad's mission is to bring the power, scale, and availability of the modern cloud to the art of software development. Brad's been at Google since 2011 and has led platform efforts in Chrome, Google+, and now on the Cloud Platform team. Prior to Google, Brad led many developer efforts at Microsoft on products including the .NET Framework, ASP.NET, Silverlight, and Visual Studio. Uh, Brad published several books, including the best-selling Framework Design Guidelines. He's spoken at developer conferences around the world, including nearly every major Microsoft developer event during his tenure, and many Google I.O. and GCP Live events since he joined. Welcome, Brad. Hey, great. It's really good to be here. Uh, it's great to have you back. Yeah, we've talked to you many times. Um, the last time we talked to you, you were at Google, I believe. Yes. What did we talk about? I think uh, I was on uh, I was on Google Plus at the time. Yes. Yeah. 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 The Google Cloud. Where did this come from, and what's that all about? Man, I'm I'm really excited about the Google Cloud. You know, when I joined Google, they they take you through this orientation process, um, and they tell you this uh, amazing. Um, infrastructure that we have. It's called life of a server and life of a data center. Um, they take you through how, how our infrastructure really works at the scale it does with data centers all over the world and how we manage this as, as one giant computer. And I was just, you know, when I sat through that, I was like, you know, we just have to let developers into this. We just have to let third party um, uh, customers, developers use this infrastructure uh, and that's really what the Google Cloud Platform is about. It's about exposing that infrastructure, the same infrastructure that powers Google Search and Gmail and YouTube, and make that available to applications that uh, that developers build. Cool. So your uh, your idea here, the or the idea that you're trying to push here, is do your development in the cloud. You don't need a client side development environment at all. Right? Well, you know. I think that uh, there's definitely a place for the for the client side development, and our our cloud platform certainly supports writing in Eclipse, and we have a plugin for Eclipse. We have one for IntelliJ. Lots of our developers use client side tools, so that's that's not as much. It's leveraging the cloud as part of your development. So, how are you doing um, testing and deployment, continuous integration, and really uh, leveraging the cloud for that kind of thing? Okay. Well, now that makes pretty good sense. If your app's going to live in the cloud in the first place, does it still make sense if your app's going to live on prem? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, we see a lot of our customers uh, end up deploying on prem but do build and test rigs in the cloud right. because it's so much easier to walk up and get uh, you know, 50, 25 machines with a certain configuration uh, in the cloud uh, so you can run your test runs on there, do test deployments. Uh, and then when you actually deploy it, sometimes you know, for, there are some reasons uh, that you still need to deploy uh, on your own local data center. 
but you're right. I mean, certainly our, our development tools are focused on people building and then deploying in, in the public cloud. And when you talk about the public cloud, is, this a, is Google actually have a public cloud at this point? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so we have both a platform as a service um, feature called uh, Google App Engine, and we have a infrastructure as a service uh, capability called Google Compute Engine. Uh, mm-hmm. So Compute Engine, for example, you can just walk up to the console, say, I want a Linux machine. I want it with four cores. I want it with you know ten gigs of RAM and this big hard drive, and we'll give you you know SSH access to that machine, right? Uh, and you can go in and go crazy and do whatever you want to on it. And we're pretty much talking about web development only here. Well, you know, actually, most of our big customers, you know, Secret, Snapchat. Uh, Applebot, a lot of these big customers are mobile apps. You know, they're Android and iOS apps, uh, but they they offload significant logic uh, and storage into the cloud so they can offer, you know, great gameplay or sharing information. Um, so we, we do see web apps, but we're increasingly seeing more and more mobile apps. Cool. And, okay. and I'm just looking at the compute engine. This is all Linux VMs. Yeah, so it's all Linux VMs. We did just uh, sign a deal with Microsoft, uh, and so we have uh, Windows is available in beta right now, so you wow. can get Windows Server. Um, so that is that is available in beta, and and hope hopefully early next year come out of beta. So we see a lot of our customers um, ask us. You know, they have a big chunk in in Linux, but then they have some servers they have Exchange or they have. Uh, SQL Server that they need to run as well, right. and we want to kind of be able to meet their needs to to run their entire heter- heterogeneous service. Yeah, yeah, you want to you want to be able to mix and match however you want to mix and match. Uh, and is the pricing model basically the same? Are we all racing to zero here? Yeah, that's a good. <laughs> that is definitely a good question. I think the um, the pricing model. You know, I think the per minute model is a is a good one basically you you pay for exactly what you use right um, and in fact uh you know as we looked at that costs um we decided that we would we would do you know exactly per minute so after the first minute as, as the first 10 minutes you pay for exactly how many minutes you use it's not rounded uh mm-hmm. up like some other platforms do and in addition, we don't have any prepay uh, system. So it's not like, oh, reserve. Yeah, I'm going to use this for the next year. The, uh, I'm not, we don't have a reserved instance um, thing. We just give you a discount. We just notice that you've used this VM for uh, a full month, and we give you a, you know, a discount on that uh, because you're utilizing it the whole time. Right. And there's nothing you need to sign up for beforehand and prepay and whatnot. Brad, I don't know if this is, question is entirely fair or you're going to run with it and go somewhere, okay. but uh, you have a lot of Azure users out there listening right now. So here's your chance to sort of you know make the pitch and compare and contrast and uh, give them some uh, reference material. Yeah, I guess what I, so you know Google doesn't focus on our our competitors. We focus on what customers are asking for. Uh, so I haven't di- dived deep into Azure, so I can't give you a deep comparison. Okay. What I would say is 
it, I think what we hear from customers, and we do have customers that uh, use Azure, and I think there's another book selling company that has a cloud as well. <laughs> um, and and what we hear is a lot of customers really want to want to diversify and want to be able to use multiple vendors. Um, and I think Google is a great opportunity to go do that. And I think that um, that's good for the entire industry. Kind of it keeps us all uh, all honest and, and competitive. Um, so I think that helps everybody. There's room in the marketplace for three major cloud players. Sure there is. Yeah, and especially so. if you're interested in redundancy, which I know a lot of people are. And redundancy across platforms is a really great yeah. way to, to be redundant. Let, let's yeah. just talk about the features that are in the list here, the hosting and storage and data and services. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about hosting for a second. Um so there's really three main ways we see customers thinking about hosting on our platform. Uh, one is the one we originally started with, uh, Google App Engine. Um, and that the way I think about that is give us your source code and we run that thing at scale. So you write in Java or Python or PHP um, and, and um, adhere to some, some standards and then we can scale that, uh, we deploy it, we make sure it's highly available. Um, we actually can scale you down to zero, so you pay nothing. So if you have a site that's, let's say it's only used you know, one, once a month at the end of the month, um, we can scale you down to zero and you pay nothing. And then when that first request comes in, we scale up to one instance. And then if it looks like you're getting a lot more requests, we can scale up to 100 or 10,000 instances. And as soon as that traffic dies away, we just automatically scale it down without you knowing at all that that's happening. You mentioned um, and Python and PHP, but Go is an important part of oh, your strategy. Oh, Absolutely. Of course, Go. Uh, in fact, uh, Secret uh, is written in Go. I don't know if you know this mobile app, Secret. Um, but they do anonymous, uh, anonymous message sharing. Oh, cool. Among your friends, which is kind of fun. Uh, and they experienced a really amazing... Uh, ramp up and growth. Uh, and they had like two or three engineers, you know, and, and nobody handling like, oh, how are we going to do load balancing and database administration and da, 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 da. like it was just all handled for them. We've heard great things about Go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Go is a great lamb. In fact, Go was sort of written to solve the kind of problems that that we see uh, in building production services at Google. Like it was right. written first for 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 Google's needs. And then we decided to make that available and, and open source so that other people can, can use it. So that's the app engine. Just yeah, so your... that's app engine. Yeah. And so compute engine, as I mentioned, is basically Linux and now windows, uh, virtual machines, and you can get those at scale, get them in nearly any configuration you want. We have data centers all over the world. Um, they can get access to, and I think what you'll find there is they're very, um, consistent performance. So, we upgrade our data centers uh, every two years. Uh, our machines get upgraded, uh, and we've done a lot of isolation work to make sure that there's no noisy neighbor problem. So if you have somebody doing a big rendering job uh, in the machine next to you, you're still going to get the uh, performance we promised you on, on those machines. Okay. Uh, we also do this... Uh, very cool. Uh, Google's very into these like computer science problems. Right. And so uh, we do this thing called live migration with our um, 
are virtual machines. You can have your application running in production, serving live traffic. And then maybe there's a hardware issue on the host machine or uh, we need to move that uh, to another machine in the zone. Then we will actually bring it up on another machine, uh, copy the live data over, copy over, start uh, mirroring the network traffic, get them completely in sync, and then brown out the old one and move all the traffic to the new one without even knowing. Wow. Uh, And so we've done this several times with very large production applications. And we told, you know, when we first started, obviously, we were nervous. So we told some of our customers that we were, we're going to do this today. Can you, can you watch and make sure, you know, everything goes okay with your app? Um, At the end of the day, they sent us email and they're like, "Um, so I guess you didn't run that test today, did you? Like, (laughs) I actually actually moved you four times, you know, and they... (laughs) They were watching the graphs. They never noticed we moved their running application. So wow. that's um, crazy. Kind of cool. Um, very raw access to our infrastructure there. So that's nice. Okay. And then the last piece of hosting that is is pretty exciting is this area of containers uh, and containerization. Mm-hmm. So we have this project called Kubernetes um, that builds off the great work of Docker to be able to give you a lightweight uh, Linux container so you have some isolation from the host OS, but it's not an entire virtualization layer. It just gives you lightweight um, container, containerization. Uh, And then Kubernetes is an orchestration framework for uh, running a bunch of these things at at scale uh, and making sure they're health checked and live, there's issues, they get restarted. Um, and so that's uh, that's kind of the newest member of our hosting family. We just launched that to public alpha, uh, I guess a month or so ago. Okay. But it's really getting a lot of interest and in, in adoption. And so Kubernetes is just an open source library? Yes. So it's an open source library. You can run it on-prem. You can run it with anybody, uh, anybody that hosts Linux. Um, you can go run it. Um, and then we have a hosted version that we run for you uh, called Google Container Engine. Um, that's available, uh, you know, if, if you just want a, a point and click solution, you can come use ours. Wow. Awesome. Now we recently did a show on Docker and I think folks are still struggling with this idea of containers versus just, versus just like virtual machines. Yeah. How, how do you define it? Yeah. So we do everything at Google, uh, via containers and really, you know, like if you think about Gmail or YouTube or search, um, we're running all that in these really lightweight containers. And what's really nice about them is that you can define precisely um, what is what is on the machine, what's on the container that you're using, what libraries are there, configuration and whatnot, without affecting anything else that's running. So you can share the same uh, hardware space without without kind of polluting it. Right. So um, I was I got the impression that it has the the weight, the lightweightness of a process, you know. Right. But it has the configurability of an OS. Awesome. You should write our marketing material. That is perfect. <laughs> that is absolutely perfect. Yes. Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, and and you know, being a developer geek, I mean it's so great for developers because you can define that container and you can run it locally right. on, on your machine. You could run it, you know, on-prem. You could run it in, uh, you know, in different public cloud providers. Uh, so it's a, it, it is a truly portable uh, format 
that gives you a lot more flexibility. And this is something we've done with VMs, but it's hard. Like keeping an instance of Hyper-V running on your desktop machine with like Absolutely. 32 gigs of RAM in it, it's it's crazy. This is sort of lightens that whole process up. Sis, do you think That's this right. is the yeah, future it, of virtualization it, in general, containers? Yeah, I, I think there's still room for both virtualization and containers. I think what when you really get into the container thing, it really starts to look like microservices. You start to right. break up things in a much more fine-grained way than you would if they were in in virtualization because they're so lightweight. Um, and so it, it sort of lends itself to sort of different kinds of use cases. Mm-hmm. You know, when I stick my IT hat on, uh, you know, these, this is exactly the kind of conversations we've been having around virtual machines themselves. Like we're making more and more smaller virtual machines that only do one thing on the IT side. Yes, exactly. You know, we would make it, I'm making Windows core active directory instances and DNS instances that do nothing else. Cause so there's just no interplay anymore. The, the connections between them are purely through the firewall. So you know exactly what yep. ports are open and what messages it'll take, and that's it. And it seems yep, to me yep. that containers are taking this down into application models where you've created a perimeter around your app, and you know what goes in and what goes out, and nothing else is there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think you see that it is kind of a change in the way you think about it. And the Docker file format uh, gives you a nice way, declarative way to describe what that service looks like. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's installed there. You can check that into a Git repo. You can look at versions of it, compare from time to time. And if you have a virtual machine that you go into and tweak some settings, change the registry or, you know, install something by hand, then how is that repeatable? Right. Um, the Docker file enforces this repeatability nature. Awesome. Well, and we've seen that same sort of behavior with other tools for generating VMs too. Like this is, you know, this is what Chef and Puppet are really quite good at is, as I have what used to be a Word doc to make a yep. server is yep. now an executable file. So it's right because it's what yep. you actually yep. run. Yep. Yep. It's the same, same basic, same basic value prop. All right. So let's talk storage. Yeah, so storage, um, we've got a lot of interesting options around storage. So uh, probably the first is Google Cloud Storage. It's actually the first uh, cloud product that that we launched. Um, and it's, it's a blob storage technology. So uh, you can go in and store large, you know, petabat files or just small configuration files in what amounts to a directory structure in the cloud. Um, it's actually... Uh, API compatible with S3, which is another solution in the space. Um, and it has uh, encryption at rest options. It has uh, some uh, durability options. So you can dial down the, uh, the durability, the number of replicas that we store of it. Uh, and that uh, saves you costs on it. Um, so it's really a very, um, very good kind of base storage technology. Just a place to put your stuff. Yes. George Carlin um, would be happy. Nice. You know, it's like, you know, images or whatnot. Um, so big data. And then we have a couple of data stores that are more like app data stores. So uh, one is just SQL. We see some customers that come to us and say, look, I already know SQL re- really well. Uh, let me just let me just use exactly MySQL. And so what we've done is we've taken um, uh, MySQL and we've taken the query processor, the head of MySQL, 
uh, and lopped off the storage and put the storage on Google's uh, high scale, highly replicated storage infrastructure. So that's happening under the covers. But uh, on the top, you get a standard SQL interface that you can use your existing, you know, PHP MyAdmin or whatever your SQL management tools of choice are, and it just works. Nice. And then the last one I think is really interesting is um, Cloud Data Store. And Cloud Data Store is kind of the original uh, NoSQL database. Um, uh, we published this big table paper a few years ago that kind of spurred a lot of the innovation around NoSQL um, databases. And our externalization of that is, uh, is called Cloud Data Store. And it is um, a high-scale database that's replicated across three different data centers on every write. Uh, we write to three different um, data center locations. And once we get an ACK back from two of them, we return back to you and say, okay, we've got this data now. Right. And uh, as mm -hmm. I said, you know, companies like Snapchat, which is super high scale mm -hmm. application, run their entire business uh, on this thing. Um so yeah, it's really good, really good infrastructure, especially awesome. for kind of mobile backends. So is data store more like just key value pairs? Yes, yeah. So it's it well, it's a schemaless uh, model. So you can you go in and, and define what the entities are, right? Uh, and then over time, you can add more fields and uh, uh, to the entity. Okay. So you can do queer, arbitrary querying on that. You just tell us, hey, I want to index these. Th these are the parts of the entity that I want to index. Right. Uh, and then you can query over any of those that are indexed. So all the features of your favorite NoSQL environment, but in the cloud. In the cloud, yep. yeah. Completely hosted, no DBA. Like, we guarantee the thing is up all the time, that kind of thing. And you have Cloud SQL, which is your relational Right. Database. And so if you wanted a relational store, you can have Cloud SQL and get... Most of those benefits as well. But now you're following the sort of tip standard row and column format and full yeah. querying, joining, of course, yeah. being the big thing. Yeah. And it's still, um, you know, my uh, Cloud SQL is still the database concept. So there's still a certain size database uh, because right. that's how Cloud SQL works and whatnot. Um, whereas Data Store, like literally, you could start an app today uh, and store and, you know, have it working with just one instance. And then scale it to a million instances tomorrow and score, store gigabytes of data. And your code wouldn't need to change at all. You would never need a DBA right. yeah. uh, to come and help you. And we, we've done numerous examples of that sort of explosive growth happening. But you can use, so you use a data store more like an object cache. We could just decompose an object in JSON or whatever you, however you want to do it and yeah. say here, hold this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and you know the other the other one we when we started out with cloud storage is much more feels like file storage. Right. That's right. That's right. It doesn't have all the query capabilities. Right. Right. Does it, does it have a CDN attached to it? The cloud storage. Um. You know, it seems it, it depends on what you mean by a CDN. Okay. So we do do we it uses like all of our technologies, all of the Google infrastructure. We have points of presence, as you might imagine, for YouTube and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. We have points of presence all over the world. So you are a CDN. <laughs> Google is a CDN. Yes. Yeah. It's the probably one of the biggest CDNs. But it, yeah, I think this is important. The word CDN, but yeah. Yeah. Sure. And I think this is an important part of this whole thing is these are the tools that Google uses to deliver their products. Am I right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I mean, it's the exact same infrastructure, and um, we are the the surface is a little bit different than what we have internally. I mean, what we've been growing the internal thing for 15 years. Um, so it's not exactly the same API sure. in, in every case, but in many cases it is the exact same API. And over time, you know, we, we do think it will converge to be the same API, but it is the same infrastructure. Like everything that matters, like the scheduling of tasks, the data storage, the, you know, backup infrastructure, the network infrastructure, the actual data center space, it's all the same. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, must be that happy time again. You guessed it. Time to pop open a restful container, lop off the storage, and clean up the blobs. <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but it I had a can funny. of Coke that did that exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's actually time to give away a Component 1 Studio Enterprise to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who won, let me tell you about Component 1's .NET controls for professional developers. Whether you're building most modern touch-enabled apps or maintaining and updating legacy applications, Component 1's flagship product, Studio Enterprise, helps to deliver rich, responsive desktop and web apps on time and under budget. Mm-hmm. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Simon Moore from Denmark. Congratulations, Simon. Golf he, clap for you, sir. He has another name, but I couldn't pronounce it. Okay. <laughs> I even asked him to clarify, and he sent me something that I couldn't pronounce. So nice. That's what happens. But <laughs> anyway, uh, Simon just won a Component 1 Studio Enterprise in a box that's a big box of awesome from Component 1 at component1.com. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. Every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, before you can win, you have to enter. So yes. do that. Uh, and we also like to ask our guest, Brad... If you had yes. $5,000 to spend on technology right now, sir, what would you buy? Wow, 5000 bucks. You know, I just got a new uh, MacBook Pro that's pretty nice. Uh-oh. Um, With the 5K yes. Retina display? Yeah, I think it does. I noticed the display is pretty awesome. Did so, you say 5K, um, Richard? Yeah. 5K Retina display? Because Apple's always up in the game, right? <laughs> so it's actually a higher resolution than the 4K screens. Wow, is that why I can't but, but read it? But you know what I would do? Actually, if I had that money, I, I would buy like 10,000 GC instances and do Bitcoin mining with it. And make you know, I knew Bitcoin was going to come in here somewhere. <laughs> I mean, what else would you do with that much uh, infrastructure? The question is, could you make more than $5,000 worth of Bitcoin off yeah. the five thousand you spent on compute, I, I doubt it. I mean, I, I doubt it because yeah. the Bitcoin price varies. Basically, a, as you see the public cloud providers uh, cutting prices, as you mentioned, mm. uh, the Bitcoin price kind of stays in sync with that. You know, right. it, it drops as the compute cycles becomes cheaper. I so. noticed that Microsoft is accepting Bitcoin to buy versions of Windows now. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I saw that uh, on a Google search, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
But you see, I think you should change your question. What, what, what would your listeners do with, say, 10,000 core hours? You know, yeah. like if they could do processing for 10,000 hours, either like at one moment for one hour in 10,000 machines or for 10,000 hours in one machine, like what problem would they want to solve? Well, Brad, if Google wants to sponsor the giveaway, we could ask every guest that question. <laughs> awesome. I'll get with our marketing people. <laughs> <laughs> but there, hey, there is a $300 free trial that I have to do a little plug for. You know, you just go up to the website, click the button, uh, and 300 bucks, uh, you could do a lot with 300 bucks, actually. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a ton uh, of compute. And, you know, and I will offer any of your listeners, if they if they finish their 300 bucks, uh, drop me an email and show me what you've done, and uh, maybe we can get you a little bit more. And what is your email? Uh, BMA at google.com. That's awesome. Good one. Heck of an offer. So, you know, most folks only think about Google from a search perspective. And this is a full, I mean, well-rounded cloud offering. Obviously, you guys use it internally, and so you sell it as well. Is this making Google any money? Yes. I mean, we are definitely in this thing uh, to make money. And we are, you know, obviously, I can't go into the details, but we have big customers uh, paying us real money. And so... uh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, Everything's absolutely. Good. I mean, it's not quite at the level that ads is at right now. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. We got a little, got a little runway to go there. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's we're really it's amazing to see the the growth, especially the growth in um, in Compute Engine and this infrastructure offering is just phenomenal. Um, okay, let's jump back into the feature list here. Let's talk BigQuery. What's BigQuery? Yeah, so BigQuery. So speaking of ads uh, and search, you know, a lot of the insights that we have for our products, you know, the way we serve you really the most relevant ads and we get the search results in the right order so you never have to go to page 10 to find what you're looking for, that comes from really careful logs analysis, uh, really careful what amounts to big data analysis, as you might imagine, um, you know, we have a lot of logs from search and ads, impression logs and whatnot. Um, and we do deep analysis of that to figure out, uh, you know, how to make great products. And there's this technology called Dremel uh, that powers a lot of that. And so you can go look it up. There's some paper, uh, some academic papers on Dremel. Uh, BigQuery is the externalization of that technology, that mm-hmm. Dremel technology. And so it is a SQL-like query. It's very close to SQL. Um, but the trick is it works over terabytes of data yeah. in seconds. So, uh, you know, we have customers that pour their request logs in there that have um, Internet of Things. I have to do my buzzword bingo. Internet mm-hmm. of Things type uh, solutions with sensors all over the place that just stream huge amounts of data into BigQuery. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they can do interactive analysis. So if you're a product manager, just want to get insights, you can just say, oh, I wonder, you know, how these variables are related. And you can do ad hoc analysis in a really fast, interactive way. Hmm. Um, And I found that that's really important when you're doing that exploratory work um, to have that speed. But then it also also lets you run in batch mode. So you can 
do things like produce the weekly report or the charts and graphs that uh, you know you want to use to run your business. Brad, I just went and did the demo, the language correlation demo, where you yeah. can explore the correlation between two languages. Mm-hmm. I, I picked C sharp and Ruby, and I got a point ninety three or something like that um, on the yeah, scale. Yeah, not as high. Yeah. No, and then I did C sharp and JavaScript, and it said, "Oops, looks like something went wrong with the request. Please try uh-huh. again." <laughs> yes, well, the cloud. Uh, you should. Uh, I wonder if you can just retry. So I w- yeah, I wonder if there's C sharp and Perl, <laughs> or VB and Perl. Yes. Yeah. So what we've done there is we've actually gotten uh, GitHub commit data for public repos for some some long period of time that the GitHub guys uh, made available to us, and you can do all kinds of really interesting analysis. It's very cool, actually. Yeah. Neat. Yep. Yeah, it all comes down to the data set. How much is, is this Hadoop under the covers? Like, what are you doing to process so much data so quickly no so uh we're it, it's dribble so it's our in, it's some internal uh infrastructure but it does a it does a map reduce like system so okay. it scales this out over you know depending on the complexity of the query and the amount of data possibly over hundreds of instances and then gathers back the data from those and joins them that's cool and and it's just yet another resource here, right? Like if you can talk about a full suite of cloud tools that you might need, this is another one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You got a lot of data stuff stashed up in in data store. You may want to do some analysis on it. Yep, that's right. So to me, and I think to the audience as developers, the app engine story is sort of a really powerful part of this equation because this is platform as a service. What we want as developers. Yes. It's just a question of whether these languages are something you want to work in. What's actually the runtime environment? Like, I'm not owning the OS now, right? I'm just sending up code and you'll execute it for me? That's right. That's right. So, yeah. So, we own uh, the runtime container. We make sure that uh, it's got all the right security patches, that uh, it's optimized for our network and our uh, the hardware it's running on um, and, you know, penetration testing like we we handle all of that for you uh and you just write your app and it runs i will right. uh, point out the kind of new uh feature of app engine that's just come out in beta is called managed vms um and that is basically the app engine story except that it runs on compute engine instances and you give us a docker file that oh, what you want the runtime image to be and we have a few, you know, base ones to suggest, like here's the Java one we suggest or the Python one. But then you can extend that and add your own library, add like the New Relic agent or add, you know, your own custom C++ code or whatever. Um, and if you do that and implement a, a few endpoints, you know, our, a health checking endpoint that we can call you on to make sure everything's still good, Um then we can give you uh, all of those benefits that I mentioned earlier, but with a container that you own. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, I think the big strength here is if I'm just feeding you Java code, and you'll handle the elasticity and stuff for me. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I jump over to the container model, now it's up to me to provide the elasticity. Right. And so Manage VMs kind of fills that gap in there where you say, look, I want a container, but I want you to do the elasticity. Right. Um, that's where Manage VMs fits. And so this comes down to knowing what metrics are relevant. How do I tell if a given instance is buried or it's get, you know getting close to buried? When should I light another one? 
Yes. So, uh, so right now by default, we do, uh, we look at your, um, network, like how fast network requests are going through. So a network request right. comes in and comes out and what your CPU utilization is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a pretty good measure for, for some apps, but there are others that, you know, number of widgets processed is actually a much more interesting metric because right. of some other downstream dependencies. Um, and so there are some ways that you can communicate that to us, like to, to, to look at this custom metric to decide how to, when to spin up another VM or when to spin one down. Do you guys yeah. do anything to protect against DDoS attacks? Yeah. So, um, all of the app engine apps run behind, uh, the same sort of firewall that protects all of Google services. Um, so there's this, a first level, like if somebody, you can imagine, uh, sites like google.com, uh, are, are, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of people try to target those Big target. So, yeah. Yeah. So anybody we recognize from targeting one of Google sites, we automatically exclude it. Of course, you mm-hmm. may have people that, uh, just target you and haven't targeted any of our sites. So if mm-hmm. there's a pattern or an IP address or whatever that we don't recognize, uh, then what we do is uh, you can actually specify, hey, requests from this IP or this range of IPs, I just want you to throw those on the floor. And we'll uh, get rid of those before they uh, actually get to your site. Oh, one of the big problems with DDoS is they are distributed. So the, the attacks come from many IPs, often mm-hmm. dynamic IPs that, you know, by the time you figure out what they are, it's too late. Yeah, yeah. How do you guys deal with that? Well, so, you know, for the ones that we recognize, um, you know, we have mechanisms to, to deal with that. Um, for, uh, for ones we don't recognize, then, um, you know, we change the problem from, we call it from denial of service to, uh, you know, denial of money because your site will keep running. Right. Um, just we will just scaling. scale it up. So it, in some ways, that's good, you know, because yeah. <laughs> they, they, they don't get the satisfaction of achieving uh, their result. But then in other ways, it's bad, obviously, because you're paying kind of significantly more mm. um, to keep that up. And so what we offer, we offer uh, a wide variety of budgetary control mechanisms. You know, I don't want to spend more than this much a day or, or whatnot um, so that you don't you know, it doesn't get crazy. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, there are some manual ways you can go in and say, I, here's the pattern of traffic that is causing me a problem. Right. Okay. You know, it's an interesting side effect there when you talk about the ability of cloud to instrument cost, that you actually know how much a DDoS attack actually costs you. If you stay yeah. up and keep expanding, and you sort of measure that against what your normal load should be, your normal cost per transaction should be versus the DDoS attack, you can actually yeah. lay a number down there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, let's get into services. Yes. Um, well, I, actually, let, let me. You know, in terms of services, one of the most interesting services I want to make sure because we have you have a strong developer offering is some of our developer um, services. So one of the things we've been looking at is how can we take all this great information we know that's going on at runtime and give it to you at development time. So, you know, one great example is, is just the logs from your application. Um, I was working on a app this weekend and, you know, it's maybe running on five or 10 instances, but it, but it could be 10,000 instances. How do I get like the 
the Apache logs or the SQL logs or whatever, mm. you know, to track down an issue? How do I get access to them? Do I have to SSH into each machine, um, find out where the logs are stored and grep through them? Um, what we do for both App Engine and now uh, in beta for Compute Engine is gather all those logs up and give you a single unified view of the of the logs. So across all the machines, so you can do sorting and filtering your regular expression queries on them and really quickly isolate down to kind of what the problem area is. Mm -hmm. um, and then often, again, as developers, often, you know, I hate to admit it, the problem's in my code and there's an exception thrown from my, uh, my class. No. Yes, <laughs> it, it does happen on occasion. Um, and the log contains, we, we actually recognize when the log contains the full stack trace and we, we, if you use our free private Git repository that's associated with each cloud project, we map that stack trace to the code that you have in the Git repo. Hmm. And you can just click on the stack trace and it takes you to a source code view of your, of your code to exactly the version that was in production at the time. I love that. Uh, the file and line number that, you know, was the problem. And you, it just speeds up debugging so much uh, more quickly. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So logs is one interesting piece. Another really interesting piece I'm excited about is um, CloudTrace, which is our performance analysis tool. Like, you know, one thing we've learned from Google search is that milliseconds really matter. For sure. So, we, if we speed up like um, the Google search results by like tens of milliseconds, it gets way more click results. And, and we think that's true for many classes of applications. But it's hard to know, especially on the server, where is the time going? You know, like you write in a system like App Engine where you're calling into infrastructure components. Uh, or you're calling from one service to another in a microservices-like architecture, where is the time going? Uh, what are the long requests, and what can I do to optimize those? And CloudTrace gives you this really detailed millisecond-by-millisecond millisecond view for every request in your application, where is the time going? Wow. Hmm. Um, and you can run reports. Uh, one thing we talk about a lot is how misleading averages are. Yes. I don't care what, what the average performance on my site is. What I care about is what the 95th percentile, what do 95, the worst 95% uh, request, slowest request on my site, what's common about those? You know, what are they doing? Because inevitably, that's what creates the bad customer experience and creates, you know, tweets about your site being slow. It's not the fast ones that, that you inevitably get as the developer. It's the slow one that some of your customers get. Well, you get into those evil traps where... It takes 100 requests to complete a given transaction, and 99 of them are 20 milliseconds each, and one of them is 2,000 milliseconds. Exactly. And, and, how and do your you average find? looks great, <laughs> and the exactly. customer experience sucks. So how do you find the slow one, right? Like you page through logs. They tell, oh, it happened at this time, and you're trying to look at – but with these – with this always on service, it's low overhead, so it can always be on. You just run a report and say, in the last – 48 hours, the last two weeks, what were the slowest requests on my site? And you just click on them and you get this detailed view. Uh, you can go from that detailed view right into the logs and then from the logs right into source code hmm. and figure out exactly what the problem was on cool. your site. 
That is great. The challenge is going, you're only going after exceptions. Like I still, once I find a worst case like that, then my next question is, well, how often is this happening? Yes. Yes. Stay tuned. All I'm going to say is stay tuned. (laughs) But you know, I've used in the past tools like New Relic for this kind of analysis too, and App Dynamics. I mean, there's a few products like that. Yeah, there are definitely other products in the space. And we're working, you know, if, if, if customers want to use those, and we do have customers that use them, they're much more full full featured. They can absolutely use them. We're working on how to work well together with them. Well, and there's specific app models for that, too. Like, it, it works well in some kinds of apps, maybe not in other kinds. Yeah. And I certainly found my experience at Strange Loop was, like, analyzing, understanding the problem that mobile app users are having is very challenging. It's tough to get much onto a phone. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, that's definitely another area. I mean, we already, with Play Store, you already get crash reports and some usage reports back. um, And we're working on doing a lot more with that. Um, Yeah. So the last last service I wanted to mention is uh, the cloud debugger. Um, And it's not a debugger like you would normally think. The cloud debugger solves this problem of how do you find out what's going on in your production service? Right. You know, let's hmm. say you have a hundred instances of the app and it's not behaving correctly. Um, how how do you go and isolate that instance? Uh, in in the old days, you know, when I was writing Windows apps, you could just set a breakpoint yep. um, and reproduce the issue. The breakpoint would fire, and you would be able to look at locals. But I, when I came to Google, I, and then when I talked to customers, they debug by searching the logs, right? Um, which, you know, I've always found is like a, a level of abstraction away from the code. I mean, right. we can do things like linking to the code, which is good. But as a developer, code is my native language. I'm going to look at my code to figure out what the problem really is. You really want instrumentation is what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And that's this is sort of what we're doing with Cloud Debugger. With Cloud Debugger, you look at your source code in our viewer, set what we call a watch point. And you'll see why it's a watch point, not a break point in a second. You set a watch point on a line of code. And then we go out to every one of your instances, say 100,000 instances, and we say, okay, tell me when this line of code is executed. And when it's executed, then we pause execution of the application for just a few milliseconds, grab the stack and locals, and return that data back uh, to the debugger view and let the the, uh, requests go on. So there's no... Um, traffic change issues, the production traffic keeps going. There's no Heisen bug effect where right. if you break one process and every cascading failures happens, so it won't reproduce. Anyway, back in the debugger, you get full access to stack and locals and you can see exactly what's going on in the application. That is so cool. Yeah, it's a pretty magical experience right now. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've needed that. And, you know, it's something that you could probably implement yourself with a fair bit of pulling your hair yeah. out but uh but yeah good stuff yeah and doing it at the level of performance where it doesn't impact the running application is definitely really hard. and you do it after the application's already running and deployed right i mean exactly. I don't... yeah so this is on production traffic you yeah know? i can i can say this is where i want this watch point oh okay take that watch point out now i want to put a watch point here yes yes and you can even say i want the watch point here but only when the customer name equals bob oh right. so cool Right. And so now you can say, hey, Bob, okay, run it again. And like he runs it. And then you say, okay, I see exactly what your problem is. And that's what you do most of the time. You'd say, all right, I want this customer ID. I want this, that, and the other thing Uh, on these conditions. Go ahead. Tell me what this is. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's a really fun project. 
Yeah, and it, you know, you can't have a break point in production. No. It's hard on the system. Yeah, yeah, no, it just doesn't work. And that's why people spelunk through logs, right? And, yeah. I, you know, I just as a developer, I want to help people focus more on their code rather than on logs. Yep, I'd rather well, see The line I've time. heard is, you're not looking at the body, you're looking at the blood splatter. Yeah, I oh. love that. I'm going to use that. That's yeah. awesome. You need to look at the body. I want to look at the body, yes. <laughs> okay, and speaking of blood splatter, <laughs> let's talk about gaming solutions. Because that's what you people do with games. You blow blow other people up, right? That's nice. right. That's right, yep. This production-level instrumentation thing, I mean, this is not going away. We need this. It's the it's what apps actually look like now, and we can afford it. It used to be you couldn't afford a produ- instrument in production because it had too much impact. Right, so, and now because you're running on our – Google's a very open source company. Like we want to let you be able to write your application and run it anywhere. You know, like we don't care about locking people in. Um, what we want to do is provide things like this runtime um, instrumentation so that you want that same app that you could run anywhere. You prefer to run it with us because we give you so, so much more developer insights. Right. Ability to actually understand where it's going to work and what the problems are. Yeah. So I wanted to bring up the gaming thing because there is a, a case, a use case, or uh, on on the uh, Google Cloud Platform website, yep. talking about how you could architect a game solution with yep. uh, with Google Cloud. Is that something yes. we want to touch on? Yeah, uh, we have a lot of a lot of uh, customers that are building mobile games, um, c- companies like Pocket Gems and whatnot that have these uh interactive games and the platform is really great for you especially you know, with the um, app engine you can focus on the front end logic the experience of that game uh and then you can um you know we can just handle all the back end stuff for you yeah okay it's pretty cool and then there's another category of mobile applications we've been talking a little bit about mobile but um Using the the services, the endpoints, the app engine, the compute engine, yep. the cloud storage, and, you know, and data I store. Mention, I got to mention with mobile, we just acquired Firebase, uh, which is a backend as a service company, um, and I'm really excited about how that uh, can help you help mobile developers get started without writing any server code at all, and still have uh, all the data stored up in the cloud and all those benefits. Uh, and then inevitably, when they do grow up and need to have more server logic, the rest of the platform's right there for you. Very cool, Brad. Hey, is there anything else that you want to mention before we wrap it up? No, I think we hit the hit the highlights. That's fantastic stuff. And you know, honestly, I hadn't even taken a look at Google Cloud. I knew that uh, you guys were coming along, but I didn't realize it was so uh, robust. How long has it been on the market? How long have you been open for business? Uh, so App Engine has been around for six years or so. Uh, Compute Engine about about a year, year and a half, something like that. Okay. Uh, yeah, very good. Brad Abrams, thanks very much, and it's been great catching up with you. Hey, good to talk to you too. All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. 
online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...